Great. Thanks so much for having me today. So I have three propositions for you. Um, first, that you probably have multiple intrinsic values. Second, that most people don't know what all of their intrinsic values are. And third, that it's no useful to know your intrinsic values. It's worth investing the time to try to figure them out. And so th these are the three things I'm going to explore with you today. So what is an intrinsic value? It's something we value for itself, not merely for its consequences. Or another way to think about it, we would continue to value it even if it were to cause nothing else. So, all right. So in some sense, our intrinsic values are things that we want there to be more of in the world according to our own value system. Now, I'd like this to be interactive to make it more interesting. So when you see this blue symbol, I'm going to ask you a question. And if your answer is yes, I'd like you to raise your hand in the air. And if your answer is no, I'd like you to put your hand on your shoulder. So the first question, is money an intrinsic value? Raise your hand if you think yes, put your hand on your shoulder if you think no. I'm seeing a lot of no's out there. Uh, so why do, we, why do we care about money? Well, money lets us do things like buy a car or buy food. Buying a car might give us autonomy. Buying food might give us nourishment and pleasure. But imagine we're in an economy with hyperinflation where you literally couldn't use the money for anything. It basically becomes paper at that point, And we can't get any of the things we want out of it. And I think in that case, most people would say it actually has no value. So money, I would say, is not an intrinsic value because it doesn't get us anything. Um, that, uh, once you screen off all the effects of it, we no longer value it. OK, what about one's own pleasurable experiences? Are they an intrinsic value for most people? Raise your hand if you think yes. Put your hand on your shoulder if you think no. Right? Well, suppose that someone had a mind-blowingly enjoyable experience, and someone else said, but I don't get it. Why do you care about that? Because you didn't get any party favors, or you didn't get any other effects from it. I think people would generally say, well, what are you talking about? Like, it, the value was the pleasurable experience, right? I value it intrinsically. Now, there are a lot of drivers for our behavior. Our habits, learning from rewards and punishments, social mimicry, biological responses. Intrinsic values are another one of these drivers for our behavior. I like to think of it with a metaphor of a lighthouse. So most of the time, we're out at sea, and we're just focusing on the rowing that we're doing. We're trying to dodge the waves. But every once in a while, we look out in the distance, and we think, what, what the heck are we trying to get to? Why are we doing all this rowing? Where are we going? And that's kind of what our intrinsic values are like. So we've defined intrinsic values so far in relation to the things we value. But we haven't really talked about what does it mean to value something. So let's talk about that a little. Well, first, a question for you. In the video game Pac-Man, do ghosts have the value of catching Pac-Man? Raise your hand if you think yes. Put your hand on your shoulder if you think no. Mm -mm. A lot of uncertainty in this audience. <laughs> well, I think it depends on your perspective. So one way to think about a value is a model of an agent's behavior. And insofar as that it's a good model, you could think of the agent as having the value. A second way to think about a value is as something that's part of an agent's utility function. Now, imagine that, that uh, Pac-Man had been implemented in the hot days of AI that we're in right now. They might have used machine learning to develop the ghosts, like kind of internal brains. And if they did that, the ghost might literally have a utility function, and there might be a machine learning algorithm that's trying to optimize this, this closeness to Pac-Man. And in that case, we could really say that Maybe it really does have this value of catching Pac-Man in some sense. But from the point of view of this talk, my preferred perspective is a little bit different. It's that valuing is something our brains do. So there's something that it feels like to have a value. And in that sense, the ghosts do not have a value. Um, intrinsic values then become a subset of the things we value. OK, so let's think about this for a second. 
as though our brains are machines, which in many ways they are. So our brains have this operation that is valuable that they can assign to things. So you could look at a stone and say, that is not valuable. You could look at money and say, that's valuable. But oh, wait, if I think about all, all the reasons I find it valuable, it turns out that they're just because of the effects. So if, I for, if I don't, I'm not allowed to get those effects, it's not valuable. So it's valuable, but not an intrinsic value. And then there might be other things that you look at and you say, that's intrinsically valuable. Or maybe when you reflect on them, you think that's intrinsically valuable. OK, so what's the point of all this? Why try to understand our intrinsic values? I'm going to give you five reasons why I think it's important to try to understand your intrinsic values. So first is what I call avoiding value traps. So a value trap is when there's something that you associate with intrinsic value or that might in the past have been related to intrinsic value of yours, and so you seek after it, but then it doesn't end up giving you the thing that you actually intrinsically value in the long run. So imagine someone who has a career, that they take a career, like a high-paid career in finance, and the reason they take it is because when they're young, they associate lack of money with lack of autonomy, and they really value autonomy. So they go on and they take this career, but after working their ass off for 30 years, they suddenly realize they've actually given up their autonomy. Right? So early on, it was associated with the intrinsic value. It stopped being, and they, through inertia, they kept doing it. So they fell in a value trap. A second reason to care about your intrinsic values is it can help optimize our plans. So for example, maybe we have this deep intrinsic value of deepening our understanding of the world. And we associate this with being a tenured professor. But maybe we don't realize that that's why we want to be a tenured professor. Right? So we come up with this elaborate plan, I'm going to go get my master's degree, I'm going to get my PhD, I'm going to get my postdoc, and eventually I'm going to uh, become a tenured professor. Right? But maybe there's a much more efficient route to this plan. Just spend your free time thinking about what the deep learning you want to do. Maybe this is going to get you most of what you want in much less effort. And this, of course, is related to CIFAR goal factoring techniques, if you've ever done a Center for Applied Rationality workshop. OK, a third reason to understand, uh, try to understand your intrinsic values is that it can help you understand or reduce a sort of unhelpful social guilt that people often have. So as you grow up, people tell you about what's valuable. Your parents do, your friends do. Even as an adult, the social circles around you are teaching you about what's valuable. But what happens if your intrinsic values differ from what the people around you tell you is valuable? Well, I think it can lead to a lot of weird psychological effects. You feel guilty, you feel like you're a bad person, you feel like you're an imposter. But what if you take a step back and, and start reframing this in terms of intrinsic values and you say, huh, my intrinsic values that I have may just be different than those of the people around me. My parents might have taught me to respect authority, maybe my friend group teaches me that I should be pure according to some definition of pure, but maybe I just want to maximize global utility or something like this. So you end up in a situation where, where you have different intrinsic values and once you realize that, you're like, OK, I'm not a bad person. I'm not an imposter. I just have different, different intrinsic values. And then you might actually be able to relate to that community more successfully. A fourth reason that I think it could be important to understand your intrinsic values is to reduce a sort of irrational doublethink that I've noticed people have sometimes. And so I want to read a couple of statements for you. The reason I cultivate friendship is because it helps me improve the world. The reason I do fun things is that so I don't burn out. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't buy these things. Like, sure, hypothetically, doing fun things might prevent you from burning out. But I don't think that's really why people do fun things, almost ever. right? But I do sometimes hear people say things like that. So what's going on? So here's my theory. People have multiple intrinsic values. But in their social world, there might be only one or two that are like socially acceptable. 
Or maybe they've studied philosophy and they've convinced themselves that there's only one true universal value that's important. So what happens is they take their own intrinsic values and they try to shove them onto these acceptable values. And you get really weird things like this. It's, it's kind of this self-deception. I don't think people are tending to be manipulative or anything like that. I think it's a self-deception. I think it's potentially bad. So I'm going to make a point that I think is very important, which is that what you think you should value or what you believe is the objective universal truth about value is not the same as the entirety of what your intrinsic values actually are. So you're, when I'm referring to intrinsic values, I'm talking about empirical fact about yourself, about your brain. And just the moment that you like decide that something is the universal, the one true value, it doesn't, it's not like your brain immediately flips into thinking that's the only thing that's valuable. Right? So these are different, those are different things. And so you might aspire to have your values be a certain way, but it doesn't mean that they, that they are that way. And you might try to shape them to make them more that way, but that's a long process over time, and you'll probably never get fully there anyway. Okay, the fifth and final reason that I think it's useful to try to understand our intrinsic values is because it can help us figure out more specifically what kind of world we want to create. Now, if we're thinking of like improving the world on the margin, there's a lot of things we could do that are, that are very obvious that we can all agree on. We want to reduce disease. We want to make people suffer less and so on. But when you actually start thinking about what world you actually want to create, it's insanely hard. And if you attempt to do this, and you have sort of one or two primary values you design this world around, I think you'll notice that you get in this really weird situation where you've designed this optimal world and it doesn't feel optimal. And you're like, that's actually a scary world. And you show it to other people and they're even more freaked out by it than you are. Why is this? Well, I suspect it's because we have multiple intrinsic values. And so if we're sort of focusing on one or two of them and we try to build an optimal world around that, it ends up being really weird and like not feeling like that great a world. And this becomes even more important if we're trying to create a world that like other people want to live in too. We have to take into account a broad spectrum of intrinsic values and try to you know, work with them to, to say, what do we want the world to look like? And I think it'd be really exciting for effective altruism to have more of a positive picture of what kind of world we want to create and not just a negative picture of the world we're trying to you know, repair. Um, I think that would, that would be an exciting project. All right, so all this comes with a huge caveat which is that it's very tricky to figure out actually what your intrinsic values are. We have to check really carefully to make sure we've really found them. So for example, let's say you're trying to decide if you value a huge pile of gold coins. And you, in doing the thought experiment to see whether it's a value or an intrinsic value, you've properly screened off the fact that you're not allowed to use it to buy a pirate ship, and you're not allowed to use it to make yourself king. But you're accidentally kind of implicitly assuming you can build a gold statue of yourself. So you think you intrinsically value it, but actually you just value the statue. So you have to be careful with these kinds of things. OK, so second, second kind of warning is you have to make sure you deeply reflect on your intrinsic values and see if they change. I think that they really do change through reflection. And you kind of don't want to go all in on one while it's still in the midst of changing a lot. Plus, you know, our brains are pretty noisy machines. Like maybe it's influenced by what you ate for breakfast. Maybe you want to wait till tomorrow before making a huge life decision based on it. So, you know, I think you really have to like dig into these things and really think about them. Third, you have to be careful not to confuse something being an intrinsic value with something just giving you positive affect. So, for example, you might really like cute kittens playing with yarn, but they're probably not an intrinsic value. You probably don't want to spread this over the whole universe, for example. Um, so. You might have an intrinsic value of the pleasure you get from watching a kitten play with yarn. You might have an intrinsic value related to the kitten enjoying playing with yarn. But you just have to be careful to like, separate these like, very similar seeming psychological phenomena. All right, so what the heck do people's intrinsic values actually look like? 
Well, you can categorize them into three groups. There's those about the self. There's those about the community, which are basically individuals that are special to you in some way, like your friends or family. And then there's universal ones that don't relate to yourself or the community. Now, I suspect that most people have all three types of intrinsic values. That you know, people are not just about their self usually. I mean, there might be exceptions. They're not just about community usually, and so on. Now, the interesting thing about universal intrinsic values is they create a reason for strangers who've never met to cooperate because they both really care about producing something in the world that has nothing to do with themselves and nothing to do with people they know even. So you could have strangers all around the world in a kind of global community all trying to support one value. That's, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to give you a few examples where this might be happening. One is classical utilitarians. They might have happiness and non-suffering as one or two of their intrinsic values. Or libertarians might have autonomy as, as one of their intrinsic values. And I want to dig into the autonomy one a little bit because I think for some libertarians, probably really what it's about is like the beneficial effects of autonomy. But I suspect that there are some libertarians where it's really an intrinsic value. So if you say, but why do you care about autonomy? That's like asking someone, but why do you care about your own pleasure? Like, what is the answer to that question? Why do you care about your own pleasure, right? If it's an intrinsic value, it's very hard to answer because it's sort of like, it's not clear there's anything underneath that. Um, or take social justice advocates, right? I think, you know, when they fight for equal treatment, obviously there are a lot of beneficial effects of equal treatment. But I suspect for some social advocates, social justice advocates, they care about equal treatment intrinsically as well, not just for its positive effects, but they think it's, it's good in and of itself. Now, I ran a study to learn about the frequency of 60 possible intrinsic values. This is a photograph of me that someone took while I was running the study. <laughs> Why was I so sad? It's because it's really hard to measure people's intrinsic values. Really, really hard. Um, so you have to take what I say here in my study results with a, with a large grain of salt. I did work pretty hard to try to screen out people that didn't properly understand their intrinsic values. But still, you have to take this as a grain of salt. So in my US sample, uh, here's a, here are a few of the intrinsic values related to self that people reported. 74% reported that I feel happy is an intrinsic value. 63% that others love me. 62% that people trust me. Um, on community in, intrinsic values, 69% people reported that people I know feel happy is an intrinsic value. 50% that people I know suffer less. And 44% that people I know get what they want. In terms of universal ones, 60% reported that humans are kind to each other as an intrinsic value, 57% that humans have freedom to pursue what they choose, and 49% that people suffer less. Okay, but what intrinsic values do effective altruists have? So I was actually able to, I actually got a ton of effective altruists to uh, fill out the survey, and I was able to analyze it using regression to look at what intrinsic values are associated with being an effective altruist, controlling for your age, gender, and political affiliation. It turned out all of the effects I found were around increasing the happiness or pleasure or decreasing the suffering of conscious beings. So maybe not a huge shock there, but somewhat validating for the technique at least. But perhaps a little bit more interestingly, most effective altruists actually reported some other intrinsic values as well. So for example, 80% reported I feel happy as an intrinsic value. 44% of effective altruists reported I believe true things. 42% uh, that I continue to learn as an intrinsic value. And 36% the humans have the freedom to pursue what they choose. And there were some others as well. All right, so what the heck do your intrinsic values look like? I'm gonna do something really mean where I'm gonna make you actually think about it for one minute to try to come up with three guesses for your actual intrinsic values uh, right now. So take a minute, kind of come up with three guesses for your intrinsic values. I'm gonna literally wait a minute, go.
All right, so clearly that wasn't nearly enough time to do this properly, but um, how many of you, or raise your hand if you were able to come up with three guesses for your own intrinsic values. Put your hand on your shoulder if you were not. Oh, a lot of people actually came up with three guesses. That's great. All right. So now I want to give you a few thought experiments for helping you further explore your intrinsic values to kind of get that, get that intuition pumping. The first thought experiment, I want you to imagine two worlds, world A and world B. In world A, there's 30 happiness, but it's all concentrated on one person. There's only three people in this world, right? In world B, there's 29.9 happiness. So you've given up a tiny bit of happiness, but the benefit is that you've spread it out equally between everyone, 9.99 happiness to each person, okay? So the question is, is world A better than world B? Raise your hand if you think yes. Put your hand on your shoulder if you think no. Interesting, some disagreements there. All right, second thought experiment. World A, there's 30 happiness per person. World B is slightly less, 29.9 happiness per person. But the difference between these worlds, in world A, everyone's hooked up to a machine that's convincing them they're winning the Nobel Prize every second of their life. That's why everyone's so happy. World B is just like a really nice place to live, and like people basically have pretty, pretty accurate beliefs about like what's actually happening around them. Like they don't think they're winning the Nobel Prize all the time. Um, so is world A better than world B? Raise your hand if you think yes. Put your hand on your shoulder if you think no. Interesting. I'm seeing some more no's on that one. OK. Third thought experiment. Again, two worlds. World A, there's 30 happiness per person. World B, there's 29.9 happiness per person. But the reason that World A is slightly happier is because this crazy person figured out that like, by doing an insanely large amount of harm, you could cause a slightly greater amount of happiness to occur than the harm you just did. And so this person went out and like, brutally harmed tons and tons of people. But the net effect was that they made the world slightly happier on average. Um, so OK, so if you think World A is better than World B, raise your hand. Uh, if you think world, uh, otherwise, put your hand on your shoulder. Interesting. All right. So my understanding of my own intrinsic values has evolved over the years. You know, when I was young, I couldn't even speak. Uh, <laughs> eventually, I started thinking about these things. I didn't know what my intrinsic values were. Uh, after reading some philosophy, I eventually started thinking that all of my universal intrinsic values that weren't related to myself or my community were about the happiness and non-suffering of all conscious beings. Philosophy sometimes does this to people. Um, <laughs> But as I thought about it more and more and really started to reflect, I think I was actually making a mistake. Like, I think I was like, mismodeling my own brain. And I think my universal intrinsic values are actually significantly more complicated than that. I think a very large chunk of them has to do with the happiness and non-suffering of conscious beings. But I think I have other chunks to that value system that involve like, people believing true things and not doing tons of harm on the way to trying to, to help people and things like that. And my personal mission is actually sort of a direct application of my intrinsic values in a sense. So I founded this company, SparkWave. What we do is we create novel software companies from scratch to try to hit, make the world better. And we then go out and we build the first version of each product and we'll go and recruit a CEO to actually try to work on running that product and put it out there in the world. And so just to give you an idea of some of the things we work on, two of our products are very much focused around reducing suffering. So Uplift is trying to help people with depression feel less depressed. And MindEase is trying to take people who have really bad anxiety and make that anxiety significantly better when they need it. Two of our other products are really focused around accelerating the search for the truth. Clearer Thinking, uh, it's at clearthinking.org if you want to check it out. We have about 20 free tools that help you think about your life, try to make better decisions, try to reduce your bias, and so on. And Positively, 
which is a new platform we built for helping people run research studies to try to accelerate the pace of social science. So I'd like to leave you with all this with just three ideas. One, you probably have multiple intrinsic values. Two, you might not yet know what they all are. And three, that it's really worth spending some time to explore them. Thank you so much. And if you're interested in my work, feel free to check it out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Spencer Greenberg. Awesome. Thank you. Great talk. Um, questions? Visibo app, website, sf.eaglobal.org slash polls. We have a few minutes. Um, maybe first, just on your methodology, I noticed in the last couple of talks I've seen you give, you've cited studies done on Mechanical Turk, which I imagine gives you like the lowest research budget of maybe anyone ever. You pay like, what? 10 cents or a dollar to, to each uh, respondent. Maybe you could give us a little uh, just kind of peek into your method of using Mechanical Turk and how generalizable you think that might be for yeah, investigating things like this. That's a good this. question. So, for example, in this study, it was a combination of Mechanical Turk and people on Facebook. Like, I got my EAs from Facebook because there aren't too many of them in Mechanical Turk. Um, but uh, so Positly, which is one of our products I mentioned, so our goal with that product is to make it really easy to recruit people really rapidly for studies. And so ultimately, our goal is that you're going to be able to plug into all different diverse populations through one really easy-to-use platform. So that's where we're moving. But right now, Mechanical Turk is like one of the fastest, easiest, least expensive way to get sample. And one of the interesting things about the Mechanical Turk population is it actually matches the effective altruists in like a bunch of variables. Which I, so I've like investigated this closely. So on age distribution, it's actually closer to the EAs than the US population in liberalness. Uh, and a few other ways as well. So I think it's certainly not a perfect population, uh, but it actually is kind of a surprise, it's like a better control group than you think that, uh, for EAs. Uh, and also, um, our plans are trying to make that kind of research really, really cheap, but getting really high quality representative samples and things like that. Ultimately, that's what we want to move. Cool. Yeah. Um, when you think about intrinsic values, that the word intrinsic obviously suggests some sort of fundamental nature. Uh, but I find myself kind of not sure if I think they're sort of embedded, embedded in my brain and like the, the result of natural selection over obviously a long time, or if they're more cultural. So I'm kind of torn as to like where do I think these things really come from even in myself? Yeah, and it's, it's a good question and it's really hard to answer. So what I'm talking about is a psychological phenomenon where we, you notice how we value some things and we don't value other things. It's like what is that? It's, it's difficult to talk about. I do think it's influenced by all of the above. Like, I think it is partly evolutionarily uh, uh, influenced. I think it's also partly culturally. I think they can change. Uh, I think mine have changed to some extent as I've reflected on them. And I think certain thought experiments actually can make them change in a way where you resolve like, kind of inconsistencies and like, kind of find bugs in your value system. Like, for example, I think a lot of people, they'll have this value like suffering is really bad, but they've never really considered like, the scope. And, and like the fact that like, okay, but is a thousand people suffering just like twice as bad as one person suffering? Or maybe it's like a lot more than that. And so you can kind of do these thought experiments and you start to realize like, oh, maybe I had some inconsistency in like that value and I can kind of flush it out. So it's a really complicated question. I, you know, I wish I had better answers, but this is the best shot I've got at it so far. It feels like you're sort of describing a trajectory where we start with very complicated messy values and refine them to a point, but also you sort of sound a note of caution that you don't want to refine them down to too few because then you sort of 
miss the point as well. Well, you don't want to do it mistakenly. Like, in that, I think that a lot of people jump the gun and they think, like, oh, I figured out the one true value, therefore that's my values. And actually, they're like describing two things. They're describing like their explicit belief about what values are, and then this other thing, which is what their like internal value system actually does, and they like gloss over that distinction. And I think that's unhealthy. Questions from the audience. How do we avoid collapsing all of our values into the feeling of having values satisfied? Like there's this sort of sense of like, okay, I got what I want, which you can get from like a lot of different things. Uh, but yeah. that maybe, maybe it is, but it seems like we don't really want that to be our well, kind of question. base value. Well, I mean, I think that humans have some values that are like very like satisfiable values and others that like just sort of are insatiable, right? Like if you have this value that there shouldn't be suffering in the world, like, well, good luck satisfying that, right? <laughs> uh, hopefully you're trying, but it's going to be a while. So, you know, so I, I, I'm not too worried about that. And I think some of the values have like are more stable and like, it's true, maybe you could try to suppress those values and like promote ones that you can easily satisfy, and maybe that's not great. What advice do you have for people who are trying to balance or prioritize between multiple conflicting values that they do feel to be intrinsic? That's a great question. And I think that sometimes some of the hardest decisions in our lives are when we actually have multiple values coming in conflict. And I have some memories from my own life where that's happened. And you know, when I think actually this is a perhaps the sixth reason why it's useful to think about your intrinsic values is because you can be in this like deep conflict and not really recognize what's going on and like what's going on might be like value A of yours is in direct conflict with value B and you're being put to the test on how you balance those two things. It's really hard. Um, so I don't have a nice answer of how you do that other than to like really reflect on those two values and say like how much of this am I willing to give up for how much of that? Um, maybe you could tell a little bit what specific question from the audience. What's a moment or story from your own life where you have been kind of forced to question and update your intrinsic values? Yeah, so I think when I was younger, I was like, because I kind of thought of myself as a utilitarian uh, and thought like, oh, the only, uh, you know, I was kind of convinced like, oh, the only thing that's, that's really important in a universal sense is like utility. And I kind of like thought that that was the way my brain worked for a little while. And I think I was confused about that. Um, then I think I would have been like more okay with certain things where you're like, oh, we're gonna do this thing and it's not gonna be great for the world, but then like later it will eventually make up for it. And I think now I'm like, I'm much less willing to like consider things like that because basically I, I think I actually have a fundamental value towards like not causing substantial amounts of harm. Um, you know, and I think pe people in the A community, they sometimes think about veganism as like a utilitarian thing, for example. But there's another, there are like other ways to frame utilitarianism, like as a don't, just constantly cause tons of harm, right? And that's sort of like a different, a different value that maybe supports um, that lifestyle choice. So, you know, there's different ways to look at a lot of these things. Do you have kind of a finite list that are like your working set of intrinsic values that you go around? I feel like I'm still, still working on it. Like, I don't feel like that's, like, I think our like minds are so messy and complicated that this is like a process that you go through. And I think I have a much better understanding than I used to, but I don't think I have a complete understanding of my own, of my own mind in this way. Well, it'll take a while for us to find that understanding. Office hours next. Will you be yeah, there? Okay, be there. awesome. Spencer Greenberg, this has been amazing. A round of applause. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thanks.